When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Disruption. Nothing personal word of the day. It is the final day of the eighth month of 2022. The year is two thirds over. Starting September, heading into fall, heading into Labor Day. Disruption. My summer plans have been disrupted. My baseball team is disrupted by unruly fans. I don't know why disruption is ever used to describe an injury. But yesterday, Justin Verlander, the Cy Young Award-winning, Tommy John recovering, Kate Upton husbanding pitcher for the Houston garbage can banging Astros has a facial facial disruption. (laughs) Breaking news. Put your jacket on, David. You got to talk about it. This is what I wanna mention on Nothing Personal. If you wanna see the very serious analysis, you can go on Twitter at David P. Sampson or go on CBS Sports HQ, and I will analyze what it means for Justin Verlander to be heard. But on Nothing Personal, we can talk about facial disruption and what it actually means. Not that, because you could have fiber disruption, you could have muscle disruption, you could have intestinal disruption. Fiber is always helpful for that. He hurt his calf. We always like to use words in baseball. I like that, like big words. Makes us sound smart and important when we get stuff back from the doctor and we try to dumb it down for a press release. But every once in a while, just for S's and G's, we'll put in a very technical word for something. There's no apparent reason why. So Justin Verlander meets the media and he said it was gonna be a matter of weeks I wouldn't be able to do a thing if there had been fibers involved. Like not just disrupted, but somehow involved. 
Justin Verlander's not a doctor, but what he was told is that you've got to rest. We've got to wait till your calf doesn't hurt because when your calf hurts, as you know from the show, we don't let pitchers pitch who have any lower body injuries because it will change their mechanics, which has a chance to hurt their arms. And Justin Verlander, he's hanging on by a thread of a leg and he's 39 years old. And they're going to re-sign him. So therefore, you rest. They've got a four-game lead over the Yankees for best record in the American League. They've already won the their division. I just paused. You know why? How well do you know me, folks? Because I blanked. And you know we do this show live. I said they've got a huge lead. They've already won. And I just blanked. It's AL West, obviously. But I blanked. And I just delayed long enough to remember that the Astros are in the AL West. That's what I just did. True that. He acknowledged that if it were a worse injury, he would have been out for the season and the playoffs. The problem with August 31st is that when my phone would ring and it was the trainer or the GM about an injury, you're talking about injuries where players are out for the season. If that happens in May, you say they're out four to six weeks. If it happens now, four to six weeks, that's it. See in the playoffs. If you're not a playoff team, we're going to shut you down. Right now, when you're a team that is out of the playoff race, you are being very conservative. If you have a player who is any part of your history, who has any sort of nagging injury, we start the discussions on August 31st about shutting that player down. And it's a money discussion, really, because starting tomorrow, Major League Baseball teams can call up even more players. There's something called the expanded roster in September. It's not like the old days where you could call up 20 guys. There's a maximum number of players. But this would always be a decision of the front office because it's a budgetary decision. You may not be thinking about this, but when you call up a player, that player now is making the league minimum. Let's say the league minimum is a million dollars. And let's just, let's do math. Let's make it easy. Let's say there's six months in the season and the league minimum is $600,000. That's $100,000 you are paying a player to play one month, the month of September. Then you count the number of days on the road. Let's say in September you have 15 days on the road and 15 hotel nights. You then count the expense of the hotel nights. You count the per diem. Then you count what you have to put into the pension for that player because when you're paying a player at the major league level, you also are putting money into a pension for that player. That's part of the player payroll expense that is not discussed by anyone but is a real expense. You are putting money into insurance for the player. That's a real expense. Ask your employer why you don't get paid more money and they'll talk about it or why they don't want you to be a full-time employee or why they want you to be a contract employee. Benefits are a real thing. It's a real cost. Then you have to look at the service time that you're giving a player because when you call up a player for a month, they get a month of service. That means they're a month closer to arbitration or a month closer to free agency. So there's a lot of decisions that go into it. And we would have the manager come in and he would want, give me an extra catcher. I want four more bullpen arms. Give me two more bats off the bench. And I'd like to see this guy play center field and that guy play third base. And I'd say, come on. We don't need nine September call-ups. It's ridiculous. And I'd give him the spreadsheet. Here's the expense, and we're just not doing it. Other teams didn't care about the money. We didn't even know we were going to talk about this, Coca, but it just occurred to me what the date is. And other teams, like the Dodgers or 
various teams that have no money problems, they can call up anybody and it's an advantage when you've got a deeper bench and a longer bullpen. But the other point about September is that more pitchers means more pitching changes before the rule was changed where a pitcher has to face three batters. And I would always complain to Major League Baseball, why are we not doing something about September call-ups? So now's the time when these call-ups will happen. Let's say it's limited to five or six players. You're figuring out who you're gonna bring up. When you are a playoff team, the players you are bringing up are not eligible for your playoff roster in theory. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Depends when you got them. And you're bringing up someone who can be a pinch runner. You're bringing up someone who can be the third or the fourth catcher. And when I'm in a playoff race, I'm more apt to spend the money than when I'm not in the playoff race. When you are the Houston, when you are the Houston Astros, and you are trying to make people forget about 2017 and you're trying to win a second World Series, you are sparing no expense in this regard. When Justin Verlander needs to rest because his calf hurts, you're gonna rest him, you're gonna put him on the IL, and then you're gonna bring him back in enough time that he's ready to go come October. So my guess is that he gets two more regular season starts and that's it and then he's ready for the playoffs. You don't wanna do one because it's too few, zero way too few, and three means he's coming back literally immediately and starting off the IL. So I'm gonna say he's about two starts is what I would do with him and then get him ready for game one of the ALDS. The advantage the Astros have is they know exactly when they're playing, the schedule's out, they know where they're playing, and they can count backwards to make sure he's on the exact rest they want of him. Some pitchers like the extra day of rest, some don't. Some need to pitch every five days and don't want anything to change that routine. So they will work it out so he is ready for game one. That's what's gonna happen. Shane McClanahan, on the other hand, will not be ready for a wild card game if the Tampa Bay Rays make the playoffs. He was warming up at Marlins Park, made me smile looking at the bullpen. Do you know we had to change the bullpen location in Marlins Park because the players complained and our and our uh, <laughs> and the owner complained? This is a true story. When Marlins Park was built, we had the home bullpen in left field, and it was connected to the Clevelander. And in 2012, back the first season we had naked women body painting there were people partying jumping in pools naked all sorts of stuff going on and it was a distraction to our bullpen and our baseball people and owner were upset with me saying why are we doing this well our home clubhouse is on the third base side it's way closer to get to the bullpen and why not you're just sitting in the bullpen Oh, they've got to be getting ready and studying the players. Okay. So after a year, I believe it was only a year, we changed the home bullpen to the right field side. So the players had a schlep behind home plate up the first baseline. And we put the visiting team in the Clevelander. And believe me, they didn't get South Beach flu. It's not like we became this great home team, but they certainly had a better view. Although now there is no more Clevelander. There are no more painted women. I actually wonder whether the new Marlins have switched the Marlins bullpen back to left field because there'd be no reason not to. I mean, there's, there's fans who are there. There's sort of a fan area. Coca, can we see that? 
from the video, can you tell if the visiting bullpen at Marlins Park, Lone Depot Park, whatever, is left field or right field? So Shane McClanahan is warming up for the Tampa Bay Rays. He is in the Cy Young conversation with Justin Verlander and Dylan Cease. He's the ace of the Rays. And all of a sudden there's video. He walks off the bullpen in his warmups. So the way that would work, I don't watch pitchers warm up as president of the team. I'm in the clubhouse. They start warming up. Let's say every pitcher's different, but anywhere between 42 minutes and 35 minutes before first pitch, they make their way to the bullpen. They don't throw off the mound immediately. They do their arm stretches. Before that, they're on the field doing some running, getting their legs ready. Then they're in the bullpen with the pitching coach, with the starting catcher, and they start their warm-up to get ready for first pitch. When you are the visiting pitcher, you know you're going in the bottom of the first. It's much easier to be the home pitcher at home because you know at 7.07, you are throwing the first pitch. And so pitchers work backwards, they have their routine, et cetera, et cetera. Shane McClanahan is starting his routine and all of a sudden he puts his hand in his glove, he's off the bullpen mound and the phone rings. When I would get a phone call about a pitcher who was warming up and could not continue, the first thing we would do is bring the assistant GM into the room because we had to get the player development people and figure out who we're bringing up and then who is going to start that game. So we're having simultaneous meetings with the manager, with the pitching coach, and with the player development slash assistant GM because we have a roster spot to fill and we have to figure out nine innings today. So we have to go through and tell the manager, here's what we got. Here's what we're doing. It's devastating. It's horrible to have to do that pregame. It's happened many times. Getting hurt warming up is a problem. But then we have to figure out what's wrong. And then when we hear that it's shoulder related, it's straight panic. I was always more upset about shoulder injuries than elbow injuries because shoulder injuries are even harder to rehab and harder to come back from. And when you hear shoulder impingement, which is what happened to Shane McClanahan yesterday at Marlins Park, it means he's out for the season. It's devastating. I mean, the Rays always find a way, but for a young player to miss an opportunity to put a postseason on his resume potentially, to pitch a wild card game when it's a best of three series, which is what the Rays are playing for because they're not going to win the division. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. If it does, we revisit it. If it doesn't, we won't. Wait to see Shane McClanahan. They haven't announced that he's out for the season. Book it, Coca. Hey, Coco, did you have friends in high school who extorted you? Like, did they come up to you like in the cafeteria and say, were you bullied? Like, give me your cookies. Give me your lunch. If you don't give me your lunch, I'm going to tell your mom that you did the following thing in class. I mean, that's sort of dime store high school type extortion. You don't often read about extortion in professional sports when it doesn't involve smuggling. Smuggling is what players do to get out of Cuba and they pay money to smugglers to get them out. And then those smugglers overcharge and then come back to the player for more. You may want to Google Yasiel Puig, who's a name you should remember as a guy never wanted on my team. He used to be a good player. He's done now. 
He just never made it the way he was supposed to at all. But he got involved in some issues because the people who got him free wanted to make him poor. And once he was free, he realized, wow, in America, people really don't do this. I want to keep all my money. So extortion for me is related to freedom. Sometimes it's related to scandal. I know that you had sex with that player's wife. Give me 10 grand. I saw you put a needle in your ass. Give me 20 grand. I've got a picture of you with three goats and a male. Lion, give me a hundo. Right? That's extortion. I'm going to the magazines. I'm going to the papers. I'm going to the interweb if you don't give me money. It happens. The story that came out yesterday that's happening over in Europe, it's a good one. So have you heard of the soccer player who's got like 9 billion followers in Mbappe? What about the one with only 52 million followers? Coca, is that more than LeBron? Does Paul Pogba have more Instagram followers than LeBron? He certainly has more than any baseball player, hockey player, football player. Maybe not Tom Brady. That would be a question. Could you check Paul Pogba, who I had never heard of, by the way. He's one of the best players in France. Plays for Juventus, but plays for the France national team. Tom Brady has how many, Coca? Oh my God, that's it? <laughs> Let me tell you, American sports, I'm in. I love America. I love American sports. But we are so, what's the word? Not patriotic. So, oh, come on. LeBron is 131 million. That's a lot. I take it back. Brady only has 12 and LeBron has 131. And Paul Pogba has what, in the 50s? It's pretty impressive. David P. Sampson on Instagram. Hey, we're almost at Y10K. <laughs> All right, let me tell you the story of this because it's wacky. And it doesn't happen as often in the States as you think. But there's an athlete named Paul Pogba, a football player, soccer player, but football player. And he's got a brother who's not as good a soccer player, but also plays professional soccer, named Matthias. And apparently Matthias and his friends are trying to get money from his brother, Paul. And the way they're trying to get money from him is by saying, if you don't give us money, we are going to go public that you hire witch doctors, wait for it, to curse your teammate on the national team Mbappe who's better than you are. Give me a hundred grand. Here's a question. If you're asked for like $13 million by your brother, do you give him anything? Do you disown him? Do you kick him out of your house? What do you do? What is it about families? What is it about money? We have a whole show about it being nothing personal. It's just business. But I've always wanted to understand the dynamics of family fighting when it comes to money. The jealousy that exists when one sibling makes it and one sibling doesn't. And it's a tale as old as time. Sometimes you have a sibling who is the business manager of the superstar celebrity. Sometimes you have brothers who are held up by brothers, sisters, parents, held up by the one famous, the one rich sibling, child. What happens if the child has an unbelievable talent? 
like piano playing or like yo-yo ma style cello playing where there's not a lot of money do you still have a a group who lives in your house is there extortion or is it only when there's money involved now you're going to say it's very silly of me to think of things that way because it's always got to be with money can you extort with anything other than money yes you can extort with emotion can't you withholding love making your love conditional when it's supposed to be a family member when you don't ask your family member for money but you ask them for something else that they need that they want when they show petty jealousies it may be the worst sin of all of them the seven deadly sins isn't jealousy on that list coca I don't know that I would ever hire a witch doctor. I don't know that I believe in witch doctors, but I don't think the point of this story is that Pogba hired a witch doctor or that he paid a hundred grand out of the 13 million trying to make it okay with his family. What I wanted to communicate to you is that when you are looking at yourself in the mirror and you are a sibling of someone famous or someone rich or someone successful, is your self-worth only based on the way they have succeeded or what they do or what they have? Is that what causes this sort of sibling rivalry that's as old as time? It makes no sense to me. I've not been, I'm not a jealous person. I was thinking about this when preparing for the show. I don't, I wouldn't extort anyone, right? Because I don't care enough. And there's nothing that I know, and I know a lot, that I would want to tell anyone unless I tell them on the show. But jealousy to me is such a waste of time, and it all goes back to time for me. Not taking the time. I did take the time to watch a movie yesterday, and we're going to discuss it in detail, because it's a story you know of in a series that we've talked about but we're gonna go into some detail. And then I'm gonna talk about why I don't like my players playing internationally. We'll be right back. The 82 game preseason is in the books and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code Samson, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Gwen, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. 
See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for being a part of this show today. Rate, review, follow, do what you do. Go on TikTok and Instagram, nothingpersonal.npds. Coca's having some fun. I'm watching these untold documentaries on Netflix. They're coming out. I watched two of them yesterday. I can only review one today. And I'm going to review Operation Flagrant Foul. It's the same one with Matein Tayo, the uh, the catfish one that we reviewed last month or whenever it came out. I think they come out once a month or something. Although I feel like I just watched that one. And uh, this one is called Operation Flagrant Foul about Tim Donahue. The story of Tim Donahue is he's an NBA referee who gambled on basketball. And it was a major, major story at the time. But here's what you're not focused on. Tim Donahue said the quiet part out loud and got shut up in a New York minute. He was trying to explain as a way to save his own carcass, which was roasted, done. He gambled, he was involved with mafia people. He served time in jail. He will not recover, get his reputation back ever, period. That'll be it. But what he did in an effort to try to get a decreased sentence is he ratted. And what he ratted was on the NBA for its preferential treatment of certain stars and certain players. NBA's desire to have a series go seven games and not four. NBA telling referees pregame what to look for, what to call, what not to call. And the NBA under David Stern, rest in peace, made sure that none of that saw the light of day. And I've got a newsflash for you. Everything he said is true. But he's the wrong messenger because he gambled on his own games and likely fixed the games that he gambled on. Why couldn't there be somebody else like me on nothing personal telling you what it's like in Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association, which I've told you many times before, yes, they want seven games. Yes, the umpires are aware of the series score. Yes, they're aware in basketball of who they don't want to have in foul trouble and who they do. Yes, they're aware of what they want to call on certain players and what they don't want to call on certain players. It's all discussed. It's all there, but it's kept shh, very quiet because God forbid anything would get in the way of the behemoth that is the NBA. It would have been one of the great scandals of all time but instead it became one rogue referee and David Stern spent the rest of his life telling you it's one rogue referee. We have no idea what he's talking about. We never know who's gonna win, who's not gonna win. We never tell player, tell the umpire, the referees, how, blah, blah, blah. four, six, nine. We never tell the referees whether or not they should protect Jordan or call extra fouls on Allen Iverson. We have no referees who have personal vendettas against different players. It doesn't exist. Horse hockey. It exists with umpires, it exists with referees, it exists in the human condition. You cannot separate when you've got a personal issue versus a professional issue. You can compartmentalize as much as you want, but when your bosses tell you to do something, you're gonna do it. Watch this documentary, please. It's called Operation Flagrant Foul. And the point of it is going to be for you 
to think that it's about one referee betting on basketball. For me, it's about how close the NBA came to having the truth out there. It made me realize that my New York Knicks, well, of course they got Patrick Ewing, not by accident. Go, go Google the 1985 lottery or 84 lottery when Patrick Ewing was, uh, when Dave DeBusher was there and celebrated that Patrick Ewing was gonna be drafted by the Knicks. Go watch the video, it's hilarious. I mean, there's one envelope stuck to the bottom and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but they needed the Knicks to be better. Now you're saying, why don't they need the Knicks to be better now? The world has changed. The league media deals are fine with the San Francisco team, Golden State, being good. They're fine with the team in Chicago being good when it was Jordan. It is player-driven, not team-driven. People will watch the Memphis Grizzlies because of John Morant or the New Orleans Pelicans with Zion Williamson. In the 80s, it didn't really work that way. You needed the big teams, Celtics, Lakers, Knicks, to be good. It's changed enough that that type of manipulation in the draft doesn't happen. But other manipulations, believe me, they do. Operation Flagrant Foul. The whole series I'm told is amazing. So when I am uh, asked, and I've covered this a little bit, but something else came up today, which is just incredibly difficult for me to comprehend my level of anger. Every regular season game, I would spend worried about injury. It's just sort of what you do when you run a team. You're worried about injury to fans at home games. You're worried about injury to players at home games or road games. You're worried about HR issues. You're worried about performance on the field, revenue off the field, cutting and, and managing expenses. You're just, you have a lot on your mind. My goal as president for those years was to try to offload as much as possible, to try to lower the number of things that I had to worry about. In order to do that, one of my pet peeves was I didn't want my players playing international baseball during the off season. If you're not a prospect, you're not important to me or to the organization, go play, don't care. If you are a star who's under a long-term contract, I don't want you playing because you're gonna get hurt. But the answer is, oh, it doesn't matter. You could get hurt playing on July 10th or August 29th. You're right. That was never my point. I'm trying to lessen the opportunities to be hurt. The Celtics just signed a guy and he just got hurt. I, I read somewhere, Gallinari, Torres Meniscus, the former Nick player, the Celtics signed him. He's playing for some team, his, his home country, and he's playing in the World Cup, some sort of basketball European tournament. The same one where Giannis scored 250 points last game. He shot, I wanna, I read this. I think he shot 100 for 102, and then 40 for 40 from three-point range, and had 94 rebounds. It was like video game numbers. And all I kept thinking is, why is Giannis playing for Greece? I mean, other than the obvious part. I know where they're from, folks. Give me a break, okay? If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you really want Giannis playing internationally? 
I would never want to work for one of those football teams where you lose your team like twice a year when they go play all these international matches. I don't even know. They've got all these different things. Soccer players, football players. What do we call them when you're in the States? I got to ask Witty. I think you just call them Coco. What do you want me to call them? Soccer players? Football players? Whatever. They Soccer players? Okay. They take two international breaks, right, every year. So they just disappear from their team. Right, right. Like, like the World Cup's happening in Qatar, but it's happening in the winter, obviously, because Qatar in the summer, you might as well just have the players go play with IVs in their arms. But your season gets interrupted, and your players disappear. Coco was talking to you about Tottenham. Tottenham, by the way, where the Giants and Packers are playing in October. Hell yeah! Get ready. Nothing personal going across the pond, I dare say. Maybe. So Tottenham doesn't play from like November 12th until around Christmas. And their best player, Harry Citizen Kane, like disappears and he's going to play for England. I'm out. We talked in the beginning of the show about Mbappe. By the way, he disappears from his team and goes to play for France. And everyone cares about it. It's huge money. Great TV. Great. What do I get out of it as president of the local team? Nothing. If I have to tell, if my GM has to call me to tell me that I signed a player in the offseason, guaranteed him six million bucks, eight million bucks, two million bucks, or 20 million bucks, and he tore his meniscus and he's out, or he strained his hamstring, I'm pissed. I don't think there's anything I can do about it. In baseball, what the owners say they can do about it is they can control who plays in the World Baseball Classic. That's about what we have. We have rules about who gets to play winter ball in baseball. So you can stop players, but owners don't like stopping players because the players complain and the agents complain. Sometimes the agents actually call you and say, don't let my player play in winter ball. I enjoy that very much, but don't play me. Then he's going to leave me and go to Boris. So next year is the World Baseball Classic and you're seeing announcements by Major League Baseball right now. He's in, we're in, we're all in. We've got Cedric Mullins in, Will Smith in, Mookie Betts in. Great players are playing for the USA team. The USA team is stacked. No question about that. As a member of the international committee, I had to always be out front saying, I'm in favor of the World Baseball Classic. I want my players to play. They're not, they have no better likelihood of being hurt in a World Baseball Classic game than in a regular game or in a spring training game. And my fingers and toes were always crossed. I didn't want any of our players playing in the World Baseball Classic because the World Baseball Classic happens in March and it requires players to have a shortened off season to go to spring training early, which they don't love doing. Then they have to ramp up to game speed way earlier than they'd normally have to. It's hard on pitchers. Hitters aren't ready. And it may or may not lead to more injuries. MLB commissioned a study to prove to owners and GMs, listen, support the WBC. This is our reason the reason we have the WBC is we were kicked out of the Olympics and we've got to show that we can do a World Cup type thing and we can eventually sell the TV rights and make some money. I get it. I get it. I want baseball to spread around the world. I want its popularity to increase. I just don't want it to be at the expense of my players. I want nuclear energy, just not in my backyard. I want criminals to be in prison, just not in my backyard. It's the old not-in-my-backyard theory. I get it. 
So when you're on the international committee, one of the conditions precedent to be named the international committee, which is a committee of owners and presidents, where you are supporting the international agenda of baseball, you have to agree that you are going to have your players playing the World Baseball Classic because there was a time when the World Baseball Classic started that there were people on the international committee who were not letting their players play. And I would stand up and the commissioner would be right next to me and we'd say, this doesn't look great, does it? And I liked being on the committee. So we say, oh yeah, we're very pro. I talked to the players. Yeah, come on, play. It'd be great. But deep inside, I'm saying, no, it's terrible. And there was a thought of moving the World Baseball Classic to the All-Star break and actually not doing an All-Star game every year, but doing every four years doing the World Baseball Classic during the All-Star break. That was discussed at several meetings. I don't know whatever became of it. Obviously, they don't do it. Next year's World Baseball Classic is still in March. So I would assume that that never passed. But the whole interrupting a season thing, you know what baseball do? I figured it out. This is a good one. The NBA talked about an in-season tournament. If the NBA does that, MLB say, oh, I think we should do that. That sounds great. And the players union is going to say, oh, no, thanks anyway. The Mets stink. I'm sorry. For all of you Mets fans, Scott, Matt, Jack, I'm off. I just am. The Mets lost to the Dodgers. I really did not think Andrew Heaney had it in him, and he only had five innings. I guess I forgot that the Mets offense is not great. We're back to 15 games over 92 and 77. Not terrible. We're still winning units for the year, but we were approaching 20 games over. Now we're 15 over. Tonight, I want to draw your attention to the Albert... Four, six, nine. Tonight, I want to draw your attention to the Albert Pujols drive for 700. Did you see the uh, article that Barstool ran? I don't want to give them that much attention except to tell you that they did an article saying that Albert Pujols, is he doing steroids? Is he not doing steroids? How did he go from he stinks to now he's amazing? Now, granted, it's the split between lefties and righties is unbelievable when he faces lefties versus righties. But the fact of the matter is he faces lefties way more and he's just hitting better right now. His last homer, 694, was a very tough pitch. It was up and away, and he turned 91 around. I don't know why they're not throwing more velocity at him because when you're old, velocity is an issue because your bat speed slows down. So the Cardinals are winning the Central. They are, I would assume Coca, they had the best record in baseball in August. Maybe the Dodgers were close, or the Braves, but I'm going to still say the Cardinals probably have the best record in Major League Baseball for August. I'm going with their trade deadline acquisition tonight, Quintana over the Reds. That's it. Okay. I want to talk about something that's going on off the field. Don't turn it off. We got a few minutes left of today's show. You're going to want to hear this because I'm going to talk about it. I used to be, I went to law school at Cardozo, Benjamin N. Cardozo School of Law is in New York City. It is affiliated with Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University is an undergraduate school that has graduate schools in law, Cardozo. They used to have a medical school called Albert Einstein, but they sold it. But Albert Einstein was the medical school. They have a school where you can become a doctor of psychology, a doctor where my daughter currently is called Furkoff. 
They're affiliated with Yeshiva, but not undergraduate. I was, in 1993, I finished law school. Sometime in the 2000s, I joined the board of Cardozo, which is a non-fiduciary board. I then became the chairman of that board. And as chairman of the board, you become a member of the board of big Yeshiva University. So I served on a board of a large educational institution for many, many years. It is an extremely complicated business. There's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of money that gets lost. Big decisions are made that impact students, that impact their education, that impact their future. Sometimes things happen in that board that bothered me. I was the only person in that board, on that board, who do not wear a yarmulke. I am Jewish, but not Orthodox. Yeshiva University is a Orthodox college. When you go to Yeshiva, you know that you are gonna have off for Yom Kippur. When you go to Brigham Young, you know that you're gonna have school on Rosh Hashanah, but don't sleep with women or drink alcohol, right? You sort of know the rules of engagement before you start. Now, some schools are less obvious. When you go to Seton Hall or Georgetown, do you have to cross yourself when you walk in the door? Do you have to take Catholic classes? When you go to Liberty, you know that you're gonna be dealing with insanity, right? Total religious insanity. I am a big believer in doing your research and before you enter into an organization to understand what the organization is. When you go to Yeshiva University, you know there's gonna be lots of people who are Jewish and you're gonna be studying a lot of Torah. When I went to Cardozo, I knew there'd be a lot of Jews, but it was very diverse because it was a law school. And I knew I wasn't studying Torah, I was studying the law. I wouldn't have gone to Cardozo if I had to take not just contracts, but all of a sudden I had to daven four times a day. If I go to yeshiva undergrad, I know I'm gonna do a mincha in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening. Simple rules. Yesterday, there was big news out of Yeshiva that made national news. There was a lawsuit brought by students at Yeshiva, not Cardoza, not Furkoff, not Einstein, the undergraduate school where men and women are educated separately in Orthodox Judaism. You do not dance together at weddings. You don't sit together at weddings. You do not in any way do anything together unless you're trying to have kids. And then only at certain days are you allowed to do that. It's the rules. You are taught Torah in the Torah. There is a prohibition against all sorts of things. One of them is being gay. I do not subscribe to that prohibition. I do not follow that rule. I do not agree with that take. It is old, it is not right, it is not worthy, but it is there. There's a bunch of things you can't do in the Torah. 
the least of which is drive on Shabbat. In Yeshiva University, there are shockingly LGBTQ members of the student body. And I say shockingly, not because I'm shocked, because is the administration shocked? Do you think just because you are born into an Orthodox household that the odds are not applicable to you? Just because it's not allowed in your book of rules, that means there's not gonna be anyone who's queer? Of course there is. So they started a club because they wanted to be recognized and they wanted to feel as though they could have people who they could relate to in an organization and in a surrounding where it may not be so tolerant or so easy to be different. So this organization is created and Yeshiva University says, we will not recognize it. It goes against our religious principles and foundations and beliefs. And the students said, we're gonna sue you. And the students won. And Yeshiva is appealing to the Supreme Court. Yes, the conservative Supreme Court, which would likely vote six to three were this to go all the way. But it's a part of something called the shadow document because Yeshiva University wants an emergency order. They want a decision, Akshav, right now. We are going to suffer irreparable harm if we have to recognize this club. And what they're really saying is they're suffering irreparable harm if you don't recognize us as a religious institution and you do not recognize that religious institutions have the right to make whatever rules they want under the umbrella of we are a religious institution. You think at Catholic schools are giving out condoms or Brigham Young, you walk around and there's beer in the cafeteria? Don't be absurd. Yeshiva University is getting crushed over this and deservedly so, and I get it, but there are two sides to every story. But it is Yeshiva University, as a member of Cardozo, I'm mortified. I don't want to be associated with an institution that would not practice tolerance and inclusion. But I cannot in good conscience do a segment and not explain to you why they're doing what they're doing. Why they feel they have the right to say, you know exactly what you came here for. The Supreme Court has a big decision to make. When you are a part of the shadow docket, what that means is you don't go the normal way where four justices have to agree to hear your case. The Supreme Court hears like 80 cases out of like 60,000 cases who want to go to the Supreme Court to appeal. It's the final court of appeal. If you lose there, you're done. Like you can't say, oh, let's start again. They hear very few cases, as you know. They want to hear important cases based on precedent. This court is very interested in blurring the line and blurring the line that separates church and state. This court is very interested given its political makeup, which this court should never be political. It is an apolitical body and it has become a political body. There is great interest in this case, but the way the shadow docket works is you've got one Supreme Court justice who is in charge of the district, who in this case is Justice Sotomayor, who is a D, not an R, which we should never say about Supreme Court justices, but that's how it goes. 
she has the power to say, ah, I don't think we're going to hear this one. But the fact of the matter is, if she knows that there are at least four justices who would want to hear it, and there are at least four justices who would want to rule on it, she's going to have a hard time not ruling on it, not having it heard. But the emergency is not that school is starting and this club has to be recognized. Therefore, we need a Supreme Court ruling in the next 10 days. The emergency is that we've got to make sure yeshiva, this is what yeshiva is saying, is recognized as a religious institution because there are concomitant benefits federally that come with that. But the message that is out there is that they're not tolerant or inclusive. When the truth is that they're not tolerant or inclusive. And you've got the graduate schools out there hanging alone, trying to figure out how to tell their students. My daughter who's currently there is getting emails talking about their position on this and how they do not stand with their parent organization. It's the equivalent of a sports team coming out and saying what the commissioner's office has just done, we don't agree with and we're not gonna do it. Except this is a much bigger deal. You can read more about what's going on with this case. You can go online if you want. But so often with these cases, so often, they hide it by saying it's just business. And they look at the kids, students, and people impacted, and they say, it's nothing personal. <laughs>